Good. So as I was thinking about the topic for this morning, it, it struck me that we human beings have a problem. I mean, a, a big problem. Because we, we find ourselves here on planet Earth and we're wondering, how did we get here? Why are we here? We're asking, is there any meaning or purpose for our lives here? And, and, and if there is meaning or purpose, what is it? So we're, we're stuck with these questions and how are we going to find answers? And some would encourage us to, to find answers by meditation where we quiet our hearts and try to pick up messages either from our own inner person or from the universe around us. Others might encourage us to like read the great philosophers, study world religions. Others might encourage us to go to fortune tellers, to maybe take hallucinogenic drugs and try to connect with ultimate reality, to try to connect with the dead possibly to, to gain information. But the problem is that none of those sources give answers that, that fit reality as we know it and that satisfy our hearts. And so because of that, tragically, many people just conclude, well, there's no meaning. This is just all random. There's no purpose. Let's just eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we're going to die, and that'll be it. But I have good news for you. This book, the Bible, has been given to us by God. The God of the universe. Over thousands of years, he spoke to prophets during the Old Testament time period, and they wrote the Old Testament, and then to apostles in the New Testament time period, and they wrote the New Testament. And so I'm holding in my hands, you're holding in your hands, God's words from our creator God, perfect truth from God himself, which answers our most pressing questions. And that's why we're here Friday morning to open up God's word and study. And we're starting a new sermon series this morning on the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So go ahead and turn there or scroll there or however you do it. Turn to Genesis chapter one, where God tells us how we got here and what this is all about, why we're here. Genesis chapter one. Now the, the word Genesis means beginning because the very first verse of Genesis chapter one starts off talking about the beginning and the book of Genesis talks about the beginning of planet earth, the beginning of the universe, and the beginning of your life. So look at what we read, Genesis chapter one, verse one, the very first verse in God's word. In the beginning, we read, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's just stop there. I, I would guess that for many of us, this verse immediately raises questions. Red flags are, are waving before us because you went to school, high school maybe, university, college maybe, and, and you might have heard, well, science disproves what we just read. You might have heard that evolution or natural selection or the, the Big Bang disproves the, the reality of God creating everything. And so I thought we should start with this first question this morning.
Can thinking people believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Or do we just need to turn our minds off or take them out and set them aside while we're taking this in? Can thinking people believe that God created the heavens and the earth? I mean, for example, doesn't evolution prove that God didn't create everything? No, it does not. First of all, we know that evolution within species, that happens all the time, right? You know about dogs, right? You can breed dogs, like you breed dachshunds, I heard. Anybody? I grew up with dachshunds that can burrow into animals' dens for hunting. You knew that, right? Or you can breed greyhounds who are bred for speed and racing. Okay, greyhounds will beat dachshunds any day, no problem. Waddle, 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 sprint, right? So that's evolution within species. That's not the problem here. The question is, is there evidence for evolution between species. Did I say that wrong last time? So yes, there's evolution within species, but is there, evolution, is there evidence for evolution between species? For example, is there evidence that human beings were not created, but evolved from gorillas, who evolved from monkeys, who evolved from little amoebas in, in a puddle somewhere? Is there evidence for that? I mean, think, you know, you think about a gorilla skeleton here, and then think about a human skeleton here, and you step back, and there are similarities, right? But is there evidence that humans evolved from gorillas? Listen to this quote from Dr. Stephen Stanley. Who is Stephen Stanley? He got his PhD from Yale, which is a prestigious school in the U.S., he taught geology at John Hopkins University, another prestigious school. He specialized in fossils. Here's what he said. The fossil record does not convincingly document a single transition from one species to another. Another quote. This is from Dr. Richard Smalley. So he won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1996. Now, a friend of his, who is also a PhD in chemistry, gave him two books critiquing evolution. And here's what Dr. Richard Smalley said was his response after reading these two books critiquing evolution. He said, evolution has just been dealt its death blow. After reading Origins of Life, with my background in chemistry and physics, it is clear evolution could not have occurred. The new book, Who Was Adam?, is the silver bullet that puts the evolutionary model to death. Now, if you've been a firm believer in evolution, I would not expect these two quotes to change your mind. Okay? But what I'm hoping might happen is that these quotes would open you up to the possibility that maybe evolution doesn't have all the evidence you've been led to believe it has, and that these two quotes would open you to the possibility that what we read in Genesis 1 actually happened. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Genesis 1. And the question I want us to focus on, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse 3. And the question I want to ask is, what does Moses emphasize in this creation account? There's lots we could talk about in this passage. 
all kinds of topics we could dig into, but what we should especially focus on and what we should always focus on in our Bible study is what, what did the biblical author emphasize? What did Moses emphasize when he wrote this? So how can we tell what a biblical author emphasizes? Well, one of the easiest ways is look at what he repeats. I would encourage you to try that in your Bible study. Just start to notice what is repeated. And when we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 3, we see Moses repeating three main truths. I want to mention them to you here so that you'll see them as we read through the passage. You'll be able to see them for yourself. So first of all, I noticed that Moses repeats the word God 35 times. Think about that. It's repeated 35 times in 34 verses. And so Moses is emphasizing in this first section of the Bible, God. Moses wants us to be struck, confronted with the sheer awesome reality of God's existence. God is. God is real. Moses wants us to see that clear as day from this first chapter. Second, Seven times in this passage, Moses repeats the phrase, God said, and there was, or God said, and it was so. In other words, he wants to show us seven times that God, when God speaks, it happens. In other words, he wants to show us the sovereignty of God. So it was the reality of God, 35 times the word God is mentioned, and now secondly, he wants to emphasize the sovereignty of God with this phrase seven times, God spoke and it happened. Third emphasis, seven times Moses repeats the phrase, it was good, or once, it was very good. And what Moses wants us to walk away from this chapter seeing is the goodness of God. That God created a world and gave us life and gave us bodies and what he's created is, it's good, what a gift God's given to us. God is good. That's what Moses wants us to see. Now, I don't want you to take my word for it, though. Let's look through the passage. I want you to see this. We're going to read through this passage verse by verse, and I want you to see how Moses has these three emphases. So start with verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So at this stage, the earth is formless and void, without form and void, which means it was uninhabitable. And we can see two reasons why it was uninhabitable in those verses. It was all covered with water. There was no dry land. And it was all darkness outside of it. So dark, water, uninhabitable. So keep reading in verse three. And God said, ready for this? Let there be light. And there was light. Sovereignty. You feel that? God just speaks and it happens. Verse four. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So you saw God's sovereignty, right? When the God of the universe speaks, it happens. He has infinite power and authority. And you see God's 
goodness, right? We needed light to be able to live. And so he created light. It's good. Verse six, keep reading. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, what he said happened. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So it seems that after the first day, there was no clear sky, just a thick mist. So the earth was still covered with water and just this thick mist, no, no clear sky. And so God commanded that an expanse, clear sky, be between the waters around the earth and the water and the clouds up above. Now, he uses the word heaven. The word heaven in the Hebrew has a very broad range of meaning. We talk about heaven a lot like going to heaven is our final destination. But we can also talk about the heavens, which is the skies. And that's what's being talked about here. So God created sky, clear air between the waters surrounding the earth and the waters in the clouds above the sky. Verse five, or verse nine, keep reading. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. Okay, so before these verses, the earth was covered with water. Then God spoke and dry land appeared. And that's good for us, right? Because we don't want to swim forever, right? So the dry land, good. God's making the world habitable. God has us as the end in mind. He wants to create a beautiful planet for us to live on. And so he creates dry land and that's, that's good for us. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, sovereignty. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So again, God sees that the earth has no plants, just absolutely barren, okay, no oranges, no bananas, right? No pecans, no tomatoes or corn or wheat, right? You see, so, and God, this isn't good. Let there be plants, vegetation, and we have corn and we have beans and we have Brussels sprouts and we have peanuts, right? And all these wonderful gifts God's given to us. Keep reading, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, sun, moon, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. 
and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So now this fourth day is a little bit puzzling because God had already created light on the first day, remember? So if he already created light on the first day, what's happening on this fourth day? There's a couple of possibilities. One is that on the first day, God created light, which was independent of the sun and the moon and the stars. I mean, God could just simply create light, and that may be what he did on the first day. And then on the, on the fourth day was when that light was connected to the sun, moon, and stars as we see today. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that on the first day, God actually created the sun, moon, and the stars. And then on the fourth day, and the Hebrew syntax maybe could be taken this way. On the fourth day, he's simply designating this is what the function of the sun is, the function of the moon is, the function of what the stars are to keep days, to keep weeks, months, years, holidays, festivals, so on. That's a good thing for us. I'm not sure which one of those I would choose between at this point. Either of them are very plausible and possible. But notice God's goodness here again. Do you see that? It's good for us. I mean, just you love feeling the sun on your face. Maybe not in the middle of the summer here, but, but like during winter, right? We enjoy it. It's like, oh, it's beautiful. I remember I used to backpack with my, my, my family when I was growing up. I remember one night my dad said, let's all, and he, and he opened up a book and he said, notice, it was, it was dark, it was night. He says, with the full moon, we can read this book. Most amazing thing. Okay, so God's goodness again. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Okay, again, here's God's sovereignty. God said, verse 20, and it happens, okay? Fish. Jan and I went out stand up paddling on Sunday and have you seen those fish in the water here? That they, they, they don't fly, but they skitter across the top of the water because you scare them? Anyway, they're very cool. So God made those. And, and the fish that you see when you go scuba diving, God made those. And, the, and the, the birds, okay? So God created. You have God's sovereignty. And, and he did this all, as we see at the end of verse 21. He saw that it was good. It was a good gift of God for us. Because again, he has us in mind. He's, he's creating this beautiful planet for us. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So after the fifth day, there were no animals, okay? But then God spoke, and there were horses, right? And golden retrievers, dogs, and monkeys, okay? And animals, okay? A gift to God from us. That's God's sovereignty. And again, he, he, he's 
creating a planet which will be a wonderful place for us to live out of his goodness. That's what he's doing. Now, the, the, the high point of his creation, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us, first time he has said that in this passage, let us, which is probably a pointer to the Trinity, because in Colossians, Zach preached a few weeks ago, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. So this is a pointer. doesn't prove it, but it's a pointer to the Trinity. Also can indicate majesty. So first time in this passage, let us make man. And then another phrase for the first time, in our image, in our likeness. The fish were not created in God's image and likeness. The animals were not created in God's image and likeness. Birds were not created in God's image and likeness. Only mankind, Adam and Eve, were created in God's image and likeness. Keep reading. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, repeating that point. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was not just good but what very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day so all of creation was leading to this point of being very good now his creation is completed God is good very good in what he's done. So you see that we're superior to the animals. We're not the same as the animals because we are created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, which means that we have the ability and the responsibility to show God's image, to be his image bearers wherever we go, showing in our workplace God's reality, God's sovereignty, God's goodness by the way we respond to difficulties and trials, showing in our homes God's reality and God's sovereignty and God's goodness, the way that husbands love their wives and their children and children obey their parents and, and wives love their kids and love their husbands. And so we're image bearers in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, everywhere we are, showing God is real, God is sovereign, God is good. We are commissioned and enabled to be in the image of God, his image bearers. Now, keep reading. Chapter 2, verse 1, there should not be a chapter break. 
between chapter 1, verse 31, and chapter 2, verse 1. The chapter breaks were not written by Moses, okay? They were added by people way later, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is part of the first creation story. So chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's not that God got tired. God does not get tired, okay? But it's that he, this word rest has the implication here of he's enjoying, enjoying. This overflow of his goodness displays his glory. Look at what he's created for, for Adam and Eve, as we'll see next week more about the details. He's, he's resting in enjoyment. Verse three, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. First chapter of the word of God. Beautiful, powerful. Now, what does this mean for us? Just sit back and Genesis chapter one, verse one to chapter two, verse three. What does this mean for us? What difference does this make in our lives? In this chapter, Moses tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there are three truths about God that Moses emphasizes that he wants us to walk away with. Just let me walk through them and, and, and spell out ways this, these three truths impact us. So the first is Moses wants us to see the reality of God. He wants us to understand God is not just an idea in a book or a, or a topic to be discussed, or just some kind of a force out there that you can try to maybe connect with in some way. Not at all. God is a personal being who really is and who powerfully works. Personal being really is and powerfully works. Do, do, you, do you feel that? There's a God out there who is real. And everything in life has to do with him, as we see from this first chapter. And so to help us see the reality of God, Moses repeats the word God 35 times. He wants to come away from this chapter just confronted with the sheer reality that God is. Remember, one of the things that led me to faith in Christ when I was about 17 was I stumbled upon Francis Schaeffer's book, and the title of it just struck me. He is there and he is not silent. That's the title of Francis. Remember Francis Schaeffer? He is there and he is not silent. That just struck me. God is there. That just changes everything. That's what Moses wants us to feel. Moses wants us to be confronted with the sheer reality of God by mentioning God 35 times. Now, I want to read these through one more time just to, so that you will feel just how real God is. Here we go. I'm going to read them. God created. God said. God saw. God separated. God called. God said. 
God made. God called. God said. God called. God saw. God said. God saw. God said. Are you feeling this? There's more. God made. God set. God saw. God said. God created. God saw. God blessed. God said. God made. God saw. God said. God created. God blessed. God said. God said. God saw. God finished. God blessed. God rested. God, 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 35 times. So we are just left at the end of this chapter confronted with the sheer awesome reality of God. God created the heavens and the earth. So the universe and planet earth and your life are not here by chance. This is not random. The universe and planet earth and your life are here because God chose to create. And, and since God created you, and since God created everything, that means that you and everything belong to God. You belong to God. He made you. You are his. And so the center of your life should be God. And the goal of your life should be God. And the purpose of your life should be God. And the prize, the treasure of your life should be God. All of your life should be about God. Moses wants us confronted with the sheer awesome reality of God. And God should be the center, the purpose, the goal, the joy, the treasure of our lives. Now, this is really important because Moses also tells us about the sovereignty of God. God spoke and a universe was created just like that, which shows that God has absolute authority and power infinite authority and power. And that shows that God is your rightful authority. He made you. He's your rightful authority. Okay, but tragically, as we're going to see in chapter 3, we have all rebelled against God. We've wanted to become our own God. We've wanted to be the center of our lives the purpose of our lives, the treasure of our lives. But God is our rightful authority. We've all rebelled against him 
And so we are in trouble. Oh, you need to feel this. We have all been in great trouble. God's sovereign. He's a rightful authority. We've rebelled against him and we face his judgment. So what can we do? Moses also in this passage shows us the goodness of God. I want you to feel this. I mean, just think about it like this. What did you do to deserve being given life? You've been given life. What did you do to get, what an amazing gift. What did you do to get that? Nothing, right? You've received the gift of life. You've received an amazing body which can see and can move and can walk and run and listen and feel and talk. I mean, what did you do to deserve this? What did you do to deserve life and the amazing body that God's given you to live in this incredible planet Earth? What did you do to deserve all this? The answer is nothing. This is a, just a sheer, pure goodness of God. Can you see how good God is? Who is this God that just like creates life and bodies and an earth? It's like, whoa, God is good. He is kind. He is loving. He is gracious. But this chapter doesn't show us the half of it. Because as we move ahead in the Bible and as we look ahead to the coming of the Messiah, we see even more of his goodness in a heartbreaking way that we've rebelled against God. We deserve judgment from God. And God came to earth in the person of Jesus, lowered himself from being fully God, laid aside his divine powers and privileges, took on human flesh, humanity, human nature, and he was crucified, being punished in our place so that justice could be satisfied, so that we could be forgiven for our sins. The goodness of God. Look at how good and kind and loving he is. And, and so because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, if we will just turn our hearts from our sin and say, I want to be set free from that. I trust you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me through your death on the cross. I trust you to change my heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. I trust you to fill me and to satisfy me. When you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are completely forgiven for your rebellion. All of it. All your past rebellion, forgiven. All your present rebellion, forgiven. All your future rebellion, forgiven. And you're reconciled to God. And you know God is your father. And you're saved and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're transformed and you're satisfied. The goodness of God. So, what does this mean for us? Moses wants you to see, and let's all see this morning, the reality of God. The sovereignty of God. The goodness, the lavish, overflowing, abundant, loving, kind goodness of God. And I want to encourage all of you, turn from your rebellion. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ to forgive you, to change you, and to satisfy you. And if you have already turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, then let me, deter, to, let me urge you, 
in an even greater way, in a new way, in a fresh way this morning, turn from your sin. We need to turn from sin every day, right, church? I do. You do. We do. So in a new, fresh way right now, from the bottom of your heart, turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you, to change you, to satisfy you. And he will. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over. Says the worship team come on up. Let me pray. Creator God, we bow our hearts before you right now. You are God. And you created us. We are not here by chance. We're not here randomly. We are here because in love and in an overflow of goodness, you've created us. And we belong to you. We acknowledge that. This earth belongs to you. The entire universe belongs to you. We've rebelled against you, though. We all have, every one of us in this room. And we've deserved your righteous judgment forever. And in great goodness, you came to earth in the person of Jesus. And you were punished in our place on the cross. What goodness. What abundant goodness. So I pray that all of us here, whether we've, whether this is the first time we ever have or whether, whether this is a renewed time, but that all of us right now in a fresh way would turn from our sin and bend the knee before you right now and trust Jesus to forgive us, to change us, and to satisfy us. In Jesus' name.